Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. How's everybody doing today? Good. You sang so well this morning. Thank you so much. Could we just uh, give thanks for our musicians this morning, the people who led us in worship? Jesus, I'm so thankful for you and Derek and Ryan and you guys, Kendall. Thank you so much, Rachel. Man, it's so awesome. I'm so grateful that we get to celebrate who God is through incredible music every week that we get together. And so it's such a privilege to be able to do that. My name is Chad Balthrop, and I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist here in Tulsa uh, at our Calvary campus, and I'm just so thankful that you're here with us today. Go ahead and take your Bibles out and turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be, and if you don't have a Bible with you, that's great. You can look it up on your phone. There's an app for that. It's the U version of Scripture. You can use the church app that we have, First Baptist. It's the FBC Owasso app. You can look that up in your app store or your Play Store. You'll also be able to see it here on the screen here in just a moment. But for the past several weeks, we've been in a series called Imago Dei. It's humanity in the image of God. And in just a moment, we'll read Colossians chapter 3. We'll read a piece of that here together because we're going to continue in our series. And what we've seen really over the past couple of weeks is we've seen that your identity, the identity of who you are, is defined by the image of God. God decided in all of his creation, when he looked out at all creation, he made things. And he was exceptionally creative in how he made all of these things. But there was only one thing that he said, let us now make man in our image. And it was humanity. It was you. And it was me. And out of that, God's given us this incredible gift of our identity. And beyond that, he's given us an incredible purpose through our identity. And I hope that you'll recognize that everyone you'll ever meet in any context is a reflection of the image of God. I hope you can see that. And then last, last week, one of the things that we saw is that we've seen that, that that image of God is marred. That image of God in us is marred. It's marred by sin. And, and specifically, that, that, mar, that mark of sin in us, it distorts our vision of the identity that we have in Christ. And it causes us to devalue the image of Christ that we see in other people. It leads to partiality. It leads, to, it leads to bigotry. It leads to racism. It leads to all of the ugliest versions of who we are. And, and while I can't claim that everybody's racist, I can't claim that, I can claim that racism is the most cosmetic form of selfishness you'll ever encounter. And so I can claim that everybody at some level struggles with some version of selfishness. I can claim that. And so today, the past couple of weeks, we've seen that our our identity is is a gift from God and gives us purpose. We've also seen how our identity has been marred by sin, not just the sin of selfishness, but just sin in general. And today, we're going to see God's solution to that challenge to our identity. Today, we're going to see what it is that God has done for you and for me. Now, one of the things that happens when you start to really buy in and believe, when you start to really catch this idea that God loves you and has this incredible purpose for you, that in spite of your sin, in spite of the worst thing you've ever done on the worst day of your life, in spite of that, God loves you anyway. When you start to actually believe that, when you start to actually buy into that, something happens that transforms your life forever. And I don't know what you think about Scripture, and I don't know what you believe about the, you know, the church organized. You may have had great experiences in church. You may have had challenging experiences in church. I know we've all had great experiences with individuals, church or not. We've also had challenging experiences with individuals, church or not. But I, I think somewhere bound up in the heart of man 
is, is this desire for redemption and, and specifically this love for transformation stories. Don't we just love to hear the story of someone who was once one thing and then something remarkable happened and then they became, they were just transformed into something else? Actually, I can show you a picture of one of them. You can see a picture. Here's a picture of one of them. There it is, right? You've got scrawny little uh, Steve Rogers who becomes Captain America, right? You, you see that. And, and in his heart, he's always the good guy. He's always the courageous guy. But, you know, you shoot him up with the right stuff and suddenly he's steroid dude, right? You know, that's, it's Captain America. So there's a transformation story. We love those transformation stories. Here's another transformation story. Uh, this is the princess and the frog. That's Princess Tiana. And, and you'll notice she's just sort of average on one side. She's a princess on the other side. But what's interesting about that picture is it's not her transformation that's the most miraculous. Anybody remember who the frog was? (laughs) The frog was a prince who had been cursed. He needed a greater transformation than she did, right? And do you remember what caused his transformation? Anybody remember? She had to kiss the frog. (laughs) Any of you ever kiss a frog? Women, don't raise your hands about your husband. That's rude. Yeah. As soon as she believed in him, his life was transformed. Here's another one. Here's another one. You guys are familiar. The Beauty and the Beast, right? Beauty and the Beast. You've got that. And again, there was something in the Beast that caused him to look one way, and then someone comes along who believes in him, and he's transformed to look in a completely His life is transformed because someone believed in him. And actually, that story, you might think that the story of Beauty and the Beast is about the girl being the beauty and the guy being the beast, but the story is a story of transformation from the heart of the beastly into the heart of beauty. And the catalyst for all of that was someone who believed in him. Now, have you ever had anyone in your life who has believed in you? Have you ever had that? It's a privilege to have that. It's an honor to have that. It's incredible to have someone in your life who believes in you. I've had the opportunity to experience that, and what a blessing it is. When I was about 14 years old, I felt like uh, God was drawing me into ministry, that he was saying, I want you to serve me by serving the people of your church. And so I didn't know exactly what that meant, and so I, I just said yes to that. And about a year, year and a half later, my student pastor came to me. His name was Mike Taylor. And he said, hey, I hear you, I hear you play the piano. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, no, I don't play the piano. I had a lesson when I was like nine years old. I don't play the piano. He's, he's that's great. You're going to lead worship for us in, in a month. A month. You're going to play the piano and sing in front of people. Yeah, I don't sing. I just play. The, yeah, that's, you're going to be great. Uh, just go to get with Rodney. He was our music minister. He'll teach you some stuff, and you can do it. And so I was just too stupid to say no. Uh, and Mike believed in me. And so I went to Rodney. Rodney says, well, here, here, learn some stuff. And so I learned some stuff. And I remember, I remember the first night, there's this keyboard in front of me, the very first time I ever led worship. I was about 15 and a half. I remember stepping up to the keyboard. And I remember about 20 minutes later, I sat down. <laughs> and I have no idea what happened in between. I just, I'm none. No idea. Just no re- recollection of it. And by all accounts, it was absolutely Terrible. This is awful. And and that night, as soon as it was over, Mike came to me and said, Hey, that was great. Do it again next week. What are you talking about? Hey, that was great. Do it again next week. And because Mike believed in me, 
that put me on a path that led to me becoming a worship pastor, that led to me getting a music degree, that led to me doing things I never dreamed I could do on my own. It's amazing what happens when someone believes in you. It's also amazing what happens when you believe in someone else. So with that in mind, I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3 together. Now, I know there's this memory verse we've been trying to memorize. It's out of Romans 15. We're not going to look at that today, but I just do want, I do want to remind you of it. Romans 15 is a verse we're trying to, to memorize. Don't, don't forget that. That's in your notes inside the app, so take a look at that. But one of the things we like to do in honor of, of God's word is we like to be able to stand to honor it during a worship service as we read it. So would you stand with me to read Colossians chapter 3? We're going to read verses 9 through 11 is what we'll read. Verses 9 through 11. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. Here's what it says. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. I appreciate that. Look specifically at verse 9 of Colossians chapter 3 with me. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. You see, we've talked about how God created us in his image, and that that's an incredible gift that gives us purpose, but that image has been marred, it's been broken by our sin, and that sin expresses itself in so many unusual and so many different ways, and selfishness is one of the primary ways that it does that. But God loved you so much. He loved me so much that he wasn't willing to let us just stay in that broken state. And he looked to his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus, who was perfect, who was spotless, who was never broken by sin, and he said to his son, the only way for this break to be resolved, the only way for reconciliation to happen, the only way their sin can be forgiven is if someone sheds their blood. And it has to be perfect blood. It can't just be any blood. It has to be perfect blood. If someone sheds their blood for the forgiveness of sins, it's the only way that can happen. Philippians chapter 1 talks about how Paul longed for the Philippian church with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I believe in that moment when, when God the Father and God the Son were having this conversation, I believe that God the Son, with all the affection that he has for you and me, looked to his Father and said, I can fix that. God says, I know, but it'll, it'll take your life. And Jesus says, I know. And they're worth it. And so Jesus died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead because he was the perfect, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. He was the only one who could die for you, and he was the only one who could rise because of who he was. And out of that, he has given you this incredible gift that on the worst day, the worst thing you'll ever do on the, on the worst day of your life, on that day, that can be forgiven and everything in between. And when you get to Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. This is a verse of scripture where Paul is talking to the Colossian church and he's saying to them, you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Now I know that's true for many of us here in this room today. It may not be true for you. If it's not, I hope you'll pay close attention because it can be. And it can be. Why? 
Maybe not because you believe in yourself. Maybe not because you believe in the Bible. Maybe not because you believe in this church, but maybe because Christ believes in you. And that's the love that has the power to transform. But for those of us who are believers, it says this. It says you have put off the old self with its practices. And so here's the thing I hope you see. Well, it's just a question, really. If you've put off the old self, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a believer in him, then why do you keep living as though you haven't? Why would you keep looking into your own heart and to your own life and, and doubting that you are who God created you to be? Why would you keep trying to become something that you're not rather than being who God made you to be? And I think the only reason for that would be because of the brokenness that sin brings into our life. It says that you've put off the old self with its practices. And so here's the thing I want you to see out of that. When you see you the way God sees you, everything changes. Think about that for just a moment. When you see you the way God sees you, everything changes. Well, how does God see you? Surely he knows all my worst stuff. Yeah, he does. Surely he knows all my best stuff. Yeah, sure he does. Surely he knows all the trauma I've experienced, all the pain that I've caused. Surely he knows all of those. Yeah, he does. He knows all of those things. But because of the way he sees you, because of the way he loves you, because of the way he longs for you, he's made a way for these things to be true. He's made a way for it. When he sees you as a believer in Christ, as a follower of him, here's what he sees. He sees that your sin is forgiven. That's what he sees when he looks at you. He sees your sin is forgiven. He sees that your relationship with him is restored. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to come to me to get to God. You simply have to surrender to who he is. Just open the eyes of your heart. Open the ears of of your spirit and listen to his voice. Open the book that he's given you and recognize your relationship with God through Jesus Christ where your sin is forgiven and your relationship with him is restored. And here's the next thing that happens. If you've really put off the old self and put on the new self, your habits are transformed. Your habits, your knee-jerk reactions, right? Your knee-jerk reactions. I was talking with my son the other day, and I was driving down the road, and we were talking, and someone cut me off. Cut me off. I thought we were going to die, and I had a knee-jerk reaction. Can anybody imagine what that knee-jerk reaction might be? Don't say it out loud. And good news is I did not shame myself in front of my son (laughs) because what I thought and what I said were two totally different things. (laughs) But I did not shame myself in front of him. But I did have this knee-jerk reaction. You know, that's what a habit is. This trigger comes along, and out of that trigger, I just react. And out of that reaction, I just reveal a little bit about what's inside me. Right? You've done that. You do that. Trigger comes along and you just react. And what's in you is what comes out. So for those of you who claim faith in Jesus Christ, when you react, is Jesus, is the Jesus who is in you, is that what comes out? Or do you shame yourself? You see, when you're in Christ, your habits are transformed. It leads to a new way of thinking, a new way of speaking, a new way of acting, and a new way of relating. 
It allows me to see others the way God sees me. It allows me to see others through the lens of Christ's love. Do you do that? Are you known for giving people the benefit of the doubt? Or are you known for assuming the worst about people, circumstances, and situations? What's true for you? What's your knee-jerk reaction? When you're frustrated, when you're mad, when things don't go your way, whenever you're not getting what you want, when you're squeezed and under tension and under pressure and under stress, do you throw a temper tantrum? Is what's in you what comes out? Well, the answer to that is yeah. What's in you is what comes out. But if you've put off the old self, you've put on the new, and the new self is a reflection of who Christ is, and that renewed reflection of who Jesus is in your life, then when you're squeezed, what's in you that comes out should be Christ in you, revealed to the world. So your sin's forgiven, your relationship's restored, your habits are transformed. And this one is so exciting. The image of God in you is renewed. The image of God in you is renewed. Remember we said the first week that we're made in the image of God. The second week that image of God has been broken. Look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 10. It says, "And have put off and have put on the new self, and this new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." You may look at yourself in the mirror and go, "That doesn't look very godly to me." <laughs> you may do that. Or you may take the opposite view. You may look in the mirror and go, I am God's gift to the whatever. You know, you may do that. That's, you may have a really uh, downtrodden view of who you are, and at the same time, you may have this very puffed up view of who you are. But you know what the, the renewed image of Christ in you does? It gives you an accurate picture, not of who you are, but of who he is. And then who you are in light of who he is. That image is renewed. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of my favorite verses. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the old you is no longer the you that you have to expose to anybody else anymore. The old you can be replaced with the new you. It has been replaced with the you that is Jesus. Now, this is not you 2.0. This is not the Chad upgrade. This is not the upgraded version of me. This is not me on the right steroids. You know, this is not Captain America, where he just went from being the scrawny good guy to being the big good guy. That's not, that's not what this is. It's a total transformation of heart that is the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your will, and the renewing of your emotions. And so God redeems you. And he renews you. And now the spirit of who he is and the image of who he is is completely restored. And in his image, there is this freshness and newness that you get to walk in. Not because you've made yourself a little better. Not because you just decided to eat right and exercise. Not because you've just decided to be a little more disciplined or cuss a little less or hang out with that particular group a little less or hang out with this group, uh, this particular group a little bit. Not because of any of those things, but because there's someone who stepped in your life who believed something about you that you couldn't even see inside yourself. And then as he believed it about you, he gave it to you. And your life was transformed into something brand when you see you the way God sees you, everything changes. Now look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. This is interesting because it tells me that this passage 
This passage has incredible truth about our relationship with God and our identity in Christ. This passage of Scripture also tells us great things about how we relate to people. But, but it really tells me that when he says, I'm talking about how you, put on, you take off the old self and you put on the old self, he's actually talking about, he's doing it in the context of our racial interactions, of our interactions with people who aren't like us, who don't look like us, who don't hang in the spaces we hang, who don't use the words that we use. All of those different things that we use to separate ourselves, whether it's our appearance or our socioeconomics or our skills. I remember in high school, there, were the groups, there was that group of people that were the athletes and there were the group of people that were the musicians and there were the group that were the geeks and the freaks and all those different things. You, you, we've been subdividing ourselves for years, right? Not just based on the color of our skin, but on the, just the interests that we have and the stuff we have or we don't have and the clothes we wear or we don't wear, the, all those different things. We've been looking for reasons to separate ourselves all our lives. We've been looking for reasons to do that. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, it makes it crystal clear that in Christ, once you've put off your old self and put on your new self, everything changes. And it doesn't just change who you are on the inside. It changes who you relate to and how you relate to everyone else on the outside. Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He's made it crystal clear. Doesn't matter which group you're in. Band geeks, athletic people, all the different groups that you can, the color of your skin, the, the content of your bank account, um, the, whether or not you're a Sooner or a Cowboy. Now, that's a matter of godliness or ungodliness. I just want you to know that. That's, that's important. But all of those things... It, in Christ, there's no boomer, there's no sooner, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And it leads me to believe this. When you see others the way God sees you, you become an instrument of God's grace. That first idea, when you see you the way God sees you, everything changes. But this second idea, when you see, you the way other, when you see others the way God sees you, you become an instrument of God's grace. You know, for those of us who are believers and who are churchgoers, we've, we've lived off the great commission for such a long time that we should go into all the world and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and, and that we should, we should make disciples, that we should tell them about the gospel. And so I've done that this morning. I've shared the gospel with you. If you don't know how to share the gospel, all you have to do is what I did this morning just a little bit. Hey, Jesus died on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And that's why you can be forgiven. Jesus loves you. Your, sins, your life's broken by sin. And that brokenness can be restored, can be renewed, can be healed because of what Jesus did for you. I believe that. Would you, do you believe that? That's the gospel in a nutshell, just very quickly. We become these instruments of grace. And we talk a lot, especially as Southern Baptists. I love how much we talk about the, the great commission. But I'm struck by the fact, especially as I think about being an instrument of God's grace to people who aren't like me and people who don't look like me and people who don't think like me and people who don't hang out in the spaces that I hang out. When I think about connecting with someone that, that maybe I just don't naturally normally in my own life just connect with, how do I become an instrument of grace to someone like them? How do I share the gospel with someone who's an atheist? How do I share the gospel with someone who's antagonistic against the church or against, against what's happening scripturally or they just, they just think they don't need it? How do I do that? Well, it's interesting to me as I read scripture Long before Christ spoke the Great Commission, he gave us the example of, and he spoke, the Great Commandment. 
Anybody remember what that is? The great commandment? Look at Matthew uh, chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. And Jesus said to him, this is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of these two commandments depend, excuse me, on, on these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So what's your approach to someone as you share the gospel with them? As you meet someone who's not like you, who doesn't look like you, doesn't act like you, who comes from a different background, what's your approach? Well, your purpose is the great commission. But your approach, it's the great commandment. To love God and to love people. How can I, in the most loving way, approach someone who I don't really know and just introduce myself and get to know them? And become an instrument of grace in their life. How can I do that with someone in my own family who just disagrees with me? How can I, instead of over our Thanksgiving meal arguing about politics or arguing about religion or arguing about fill in the blank. July 4th is coming. You're probably going to get with your family and blow something up. That's what we do in America, right? We blow things up on 4th of July. You're going to have a hamburger, a hot dog, and you're going to do something with family. And you're going to have the opportunity probably to hang out with friends or with family who just disagree with you about something. How can you adjust that argument so that it's less about winning an argument and more about demonstrating the great commandment, approaching with them with the love of God to share with them the grace of God through the words you use and the actions you choose? How can you do that? Not just with friends and family over a hot dog at 4th of July, but with someone in this room this morning I've met, uh, I think, four people this morning that before I walked into this room today, I had never met before. Now, I have the opportunity to walk up them with preconceived ideas. I have the opportunity to walk up them uh, to, with them expecting to know me because I'm on a platform. I could do that. I have the opportunity to walk up to them and ignore them. All those things are possibilities. But how could you, as a believer in Christ, approach someone in this room from the stance of the great commandment in order to live out the great commission. How can you do that? It's one of the things I find fascinating about 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We stop at 17 so often. 2 Corinthians 5, remember? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have been made new. We stop there, but look at verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 says this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave, say that word with me, and gave us. Who did he give? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Who, I'm going to ask the question again. Who did he give the ministry of reconciliation? Us. So when we talk about racial issues, when we talk about relational issues, when we talk about the conflicts that come between people, fill in the blank for the cause. Who did God give the ministry of reconciliation? Yeah, you can answer that out loud. Who did God give the ministry of reconciliation? Right. Did he give it to politicians? Nope. Did he give it uh, to uh, business leaders? No. Did he give it to media rock stars? I mean, just those media influencers that you see on TikTok or whoever. Did he give it to them? No. He gave it to his people 
He gave it to you. He gave it to me. We are the ones who are the ministers of reconciliation. We are the ones. We are the ones that God calls on to carry his grace into his world. We are the instruments of his grace. So it really leads to a very natural question. It leads to a really actually not just a question but a comment. The question is, how do you treat people? How do you treat Jew and Greek, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free? How do you treat people? Because if the great commission is to go and share the gospel, well, then he's called us to be that, those ministers of reconciliation who, who are the ones who carry, we're instruments of his grace into a lost world, into the lives of people, But the approach he's called us to take is the great commandment to love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another. You see how those things relate? That we would love God and we would love people. How do you treat people? Because I believe how you treat people reveals the depths of your love for God. So that's the statement. I think you can see it. Do you love people enough to notice their presence? Do you love people enough to honor their culture? Do you love people enough to just simply treat them with respect? To just look someone in the eye and introduce yourself and to ask them about them and to be more interested in them than you are in them being interested in you. Is that you? Do you love people enough to just start a conversation? Do you love people enough to just walk across a room? Just walk across a room. I've said it before. What's in your heart is what comes out. I used to play soccer when I was a little kid. They put me in the goal once, and that was really stupid because I was really slow and really fat. <laughs> they put me in because I was fat. They thought I'd block everything. But I ended up scoring I ended up scoring the only goal of the game for both teams because I was the goalie. I got the ball, caught the ball. I thought I'd save the goal. I kicked the ball, went over my head, and into our own goal. <laughs> I scored the only goal of the game for the opposite team. It's awesome. You know why that is? Because I'm a terrible soccer player. I mean, come on. How hard is that? No. I didn't have the heart of a soccer player, but you know what I had on? I had the uniform of a soccer player. On the outside, I looked like a soccer player. But on the inside, I wasn't interested in playing soccer. I wasn't any good at it. It wasn't for me. There's some other things I've done over the course of my life that are silly, I've played some roles and some plays and some things that I've done, like this one. There's a, yeah, um, yeah, I can't believe I tell people this, but uh, we do a, a show sometimes around Christmas time called A Christmas Carol, and one of the characters is Mr. Fezziwig, and so you can tell why I'm wearing that. I'm Mr. Fezziwig. That's not what's in my heart. That's just what was on the outside of me. There was another thing I did. Um, uh, for vacation Bible school year, I was Agent Y. That was, that was my name. I was Agent Y. So um, I still wear that sometime because, you know, eye patches are cool. Um, but I looked one way on, on the inside or on the outside, but on the inside I was something right, completely different, right? And then we went to, my wife and I, we went to a costume party once. I looked like this. Um, that's me and Londa. Um, you might call that a Beauty and the Beast picture. You might call that. <laughs> I did, uh, right after that picture, I leaned over into her. I said, look at us, beauty and the beast. And if anybody else calls you beast, I'll tear their heart out. That's, that's what I said in that moment. It's really easy to dress up, isn't it? 
it's really easy to look one way on the outside and be another way on the inside. Isn't it? It's easy to show up at this place and look really Christian and show up out there and look nothing like Christ. It's easy to do that. It's really easy to say, I love everybody. And then with your actions or your inaction, with your words, with your choices, with your circle of friends, it's really easy to say, I love everybody. I treat everybody the same. And then to separate yourself from the seemingly undesirables in your own life. Do you love people who are like you? Do you love people who aren't like you? Can you love people who don't like you? And can you love people, if you were honest, that on your own, apart from Christ, <laughs> you don't really like? Can you do that? You see, I think that's the measure of our maturity in Christ. I think that's the measure of our faith. And it's exactly what Christ did for you and for me. He loved you when you didn't love him. He is so different from who we are. He is perfect in every way, and we are broken in every way, yet he loved us anyway. He loved you when you didn't like him. He loved you when you hated him enough to reject, rebel, and ultimately together as we killed him. He loved you enough to come anyway. He believed in you when you didn't even believe in him. And so is that a gift that you could give to someone else today? Will you be an instrument of his grace? More than that, do you need to receive his grace into your life. Let me invite you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning and just consider those questions. Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he did this so that you could be forgiven. To take your identity and renew it, to transform it, to make you into his image so that you can live out that love that he has for you and you can share that with someone else and that as you do, his great commission to share the gospel will come to life, not just in you, but in others who need it and in our community and in our world. So this morning, we're gonna take a moment to just simply respond. And I hope if you're a believer in Christ that you'll just examine your own heart. Is what's in you in Christ coming out of you in the way you relate to people? If it's not, you need to repent. Are you a minister of reconciliation in your workplace or in your school or with your friends or with your family? If you're not, you need to repent. Are you an instrument of God's grace in your community? Or are you the one who amplifies all the biggest voices and cha voices of challenge in our culture today? Are you online blowing people up because they don't think like you or act like you or agree with you? If you are and you're a believer in Christ, then maybe I think you need to repent because God designed you to be an instrument of his grace. And today, if you're not a follower of Christ, 
would you just take a moment to consider that God believes in you and he longs for you to have an intimate and a deep and a meaningful relationship with him and it all begins when you simply surrender to his son Jesus forgive me of my sins and save me that's all it takes and it's the beginning of a life brand new after I pray we'll all stand we'll have a chance to respond through singing if you want to talk with someone or get right with someone or if you want someone to pray with you there'll be people down front who can talk to you or pray with you we can we can help you understand what it means to trust in Jesus but this is not the day to just sit idly by and think to yourself I'm okay we're all right I'm just going to keep doing things the way I'm doing them this is a day to examine yourself to just ask the question God where do I need to repent who can I be an instrument of grace for How can I follow you more closely? Father, we love you, and we're so grateful to you that you've given us such an incredible purpose, and you've you've given us an amazing identity, and you've allowed us to be ministers of reconciliation. You've shown us, you've demonstrated us your love, that you've demonstrated your love to us through your son, Jesus. And I pray right now that someone who doesn't know you, that they would be drawn to you, that they would place their faith in you, and they would recognize that long before they were asked, place their faith in you, that you had faith in them, enough to die for them. So help them to understand that and draw them to yourself. And for those of us who need to repent in any way, Father, I pray that you would grant us the gift of repentance, that you would give us the capacity for forgiveness, and that we would be instruments of your grace everywhere you send us today. We love you, Father, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.